and welcome to Logan Sounds Off, where I talk about books, music and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Logan Kelly. So get started, um, Ricky, for those who don't know about you, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What would you like to know? Would you like to know about me or would you like to know about the podcast I do? What um, would you like to know? A little bit about, a little bit about. Okay, uh, well, I am a podcaster. That seems to be my actual title, my job designation as it stands just now. Started my first podcast, my only podcast, coming up for nearly four years now, three and a half years I think it is and it is to do with watches. That sounds kind of boring to most people, but when you get into any kind of hobby, once you get past and pull back the layers of the onion, you start to find what makes it interesting to a whole load of people. And when it comes to watches, I just love mechanical things. I'm into motorcycles, I'm into technology, I'm into cars. Back in the day, I used to have a performance car, I used to tune it, I had nitrous, was right into Fast and the Furious. And then when I got into watches, I was a little bit older, I just fell in love with the mechanisms, the having the, the heartbeat on the wrist, that engine on the wrist there. And uh, it's an amazing world I knew nothing about five years ago, but I'm totally entrenched in just now. Been across the world, been to Dubai, been to Switzerland, all to do with watches, meeting artists, creators, people that produce these little movements right through to graphic designers, people that paint with enamel on the dials, create interesting and funky complications, new ways of telling the time, plus obviously the historic ones. And that's pretty much why I do so. I'm the host and co-founder of the Scottish Watches podcast. Wow. Um, so what, in, what is your favourite thing about making the Scottish Watches podcast? It's speaking to people that are enthusiastic, right? It's speaking to somebody, again, it could, it sounds boring when I explain this to people. Oh my God, watches, are they a thing? Do people still wear those kind of things? Turns out, yeah. And because, I mean, I, you're wearing a watch, I can see it there yeah. through the webcam. No, I was just going, yeah, I, I'm I'm doing this to my face while the watch is showing. After yeah. But that just, so, uh, people do still wear watches. So anyways, continue, sorry. Yeah, they do. No, not at all. Um, as I say, I've been into it for five years, and the reason that I love doing the podcast, and I'll say the podcast only been three and a half, it's speaking to enthusiastic people, and that is people that have started a watch company, maybe during lockdown, you know, they were furloughed, or worse, they lost their job, their career, their business, and they decided to give something else a go. But then there's people we speak to that have been in the industry for 50 years and they're just as enthusiastic as the day they first started. There's a gentleman that's probably most well known uh, currently in the watch industry, a guy called Jean-Claude Biver, and he's been with so many brands throughout the decades. He's reinvigorated the watch industry multiple times, brought back many dead brands to the forefront, and he is still as keen in his 70s as he was in his 20s and 30s. So it's speaking to people that are super enthusiastic about what they do, and it doesn't matter if they're young, there could be a guy that's 18 years of age that's just starting out, or it could be somebody in their 70s. Wow. Well, that is probably one of the best answers you could ever give. Um, apart from watches, what are your other hobbies? Oh, right. Well, I did allude to it slightly earlier. Cars, motorcycles, music, technology, stuff like that. So when I was a kid, I was into tech. 
and that was obviously well before the internet was popular. That was in the 90s. So I dicked around with computers, did programming, did graphic design work, moved into DJing, moved into cars once I could get my license and bought my first car. Started a car magazine, similar to Max Power, Fast Car Magazine. Those are things that you will know nothing about, but your dad will be able to tell you about it after we finish recording. Uh, and then it went from there, moved into events management, ran car shows for people that would tune, modify, add sound systems. And then it's kind of come full circle into motorcycles more recently, and then obviously watches. And I still have a hand in all those things. I like retro video games, I enjoy Marvel movies, science fiction, right the way through. So I've got a very wide and varied interest level, uh, and I keep them all kind of going. Because you never want to go 100% into the one thing, because then you can become bored of it and fall out of love. So I like to have a lot of plate spinning with my hobbies and interests. Well... Um, as you know, I am 10. What did you do when you were 10? What did you want to do um, when you grown up, when you were 10? So what what school level are you at? Is it primary? I don't know what it's, the designations are over there. Is it primary, primary 1 to 7 over there? Um, we have that. Uh, you've got juniors, friends, senior, friends, and first sixth class. That's primary school. Then you've got first year to sixth year, which is secondary school. And then in the middle of the six years in secondary school, there's transmission year, which is optional. And then you've got college. So I'm in primary school in fourth class. So you're in primary four. Just trying to think what I was yeah. doing in primary four. What I was thinking about? That is a good question. I had no idea. Back then, I liked football and I grew out of that pretty quick. So I had the stupid ideas, as most kids probably had, that they wanted to become a professional footballer because it looked like a lot of fun. But as I grew older and I moved up through the primary ranks into secondary, it was technology, it was computing that I was interested in. I get really, really into that. Did a lot of um, things with computers that maybe the, the police wouldn't like to know about back then. But, you know, it has been many years and I've been a good boy since. So I was into this kind of tech stuff. And that was my plan through secondary was to become a programmer, a coder, software developer, something like that, because that's kind of what I liked. I did a little bit of it, but then life took me on many different journeys um, to where I am today. Well, um, as you know, this podcast is mainly about music and books. Um, have you ever had a favourite genre and what Scottish bands would you recommend? Hmm, interesting. So funnily enough, when I was in my later teenage years, I started DJing. Well, I actually produced music way, way back when I was younger, probably the early 90s, um, just into secondary school. I got a decent computer and started learning how to make music on it. And it wasn't as you would do nowadays with VSTs and different sequencing programs. It was very rudimentary and basic. But I learned using four-channel mod tracking software, a bit like Octomed or ProTracker on the Amiga. I did things on the PC with Scream Tracker, Impulse Tracker, and I did music creation there. Had a, you could call it a band, uh, and we did actually go to events and played, played basic electronic music at a very fast BPM, which was good. Then I moved into DJing when I was 16, 17, did the nightclub scene here in Scotland, Gave it up for a little bit, and then probably around about 2009 to 2012, I get back into music, and I was actually DJing with some decent-sized stars, 
uh, like Armin van Buren, um, Sash, Fragma, Entrant, some of the sort of older, old school classic uh, dance acts that were kicking around in the UK. Um, yeah, that was kind of there. So Scottish bands you asked about. Difficult one. There are so many right across the board from, I don't know, Texas, Big Country, Dire Straits, right the way through to Louis Capaldi, Jerry Cinnamon. Um, probably one that's most close to my heart, if you can call it a band, it's more a PA, and that would be TTF, The Time Frequency. And that's a band that was probably the first CD that I bought. And they're a dance music outfit. They're still going to this day, and I'm actually really good friends with the, the front man, John Campbell. And funnily enough, this Saturday, which we're recording this on Tuesday the 24th of May, this Saturday coming, I am filming his big sort of annual concert sans the COVID years at the Brayhead Arena, where there'll be tens of thousands of people hopefully turning up for that one. Wow. And then when we were talking about music that you like, that was Scottish, once you said big country and dire straits, I just went, okay, wow. Because um, I, I like big country. I've got one of their CDs. And I am, um, I love Dire Streets just popped out of my head. They're going, what's it, what's it, what's it? And um, I have a Dire Streets, Dire Straits um, record as well. And um, so they're great picks for Scott um, Scotland. And then Lewis Capaldi is new and upcoming. And then, of course, the time frequency as well. So now, back to your speciality. What are three of your favorite watches? No pressure. No pressure. I wish you'd given me a cheat list ahead of time so I knew you were going to ask. What can I talk about? Well, first of all, the question would be, when will this show go live? When will people be hearing this? Um, I don't know, but probably in the next week, in and okay. around. May, maybe less, probably a day over, I don't know. Um, okay. In and around that, yeah. Right? Would you like an exclusive? What? Oh, wow. I... I have got a watch in front of me that is not released yet. It only arrived today. Now, I can say this is my favourite watch because I've only had it to play with for a little bit of time. No but I way! But I took it outside today because <clears throat> it arrived when it was sunny in Scotland. This doesn't happen very often, and your listeners will know this if they know anything about the country that I live in and was born in. And this is from a company <clears throat> called Fairer. What makes this watch unique is the fact that it has got a baby blue coloration to it. It's got a frosted bezel. It has got a wave filament dial. It has got a plaque indices. And the way that it all comes together, all the colours come together, it looks fantastic. So of the watches we've been sent in, because we get sent in loads every week or two to review and talk about in the show, that's probably my favourite has been in for a wee while. Of my own watches, my three favourites, because uh, this one doesn't count, this is somebody else's watch. My three favourites currently, number one is the watch that kept, kind of got me into the hobby and kept me in the hobby. I bought a watch. The reason it all started was I had a spare bit of money sitting. I was in my 30s. I had bought a house, I'd bought a car, I bought a motorbike, and I thought to myself, what does a man buy next? Because if you're a woman, you can buy handbags, you can buy necklaces, jewellery, shoes, you can collect all that kind of stuff. Guys, it's a little bit more narrow focused. And my dad always wanted to buy a nice watch, but we could never afford it growing up. Uh, so I decided I would take some of the money that I had sitting and buy a nice watch. So I bought a Rolex GMT Master. It was a 1999 edition, so kind of vintage. And the reason I got into the hobby was I bought the watch, took it home, and it didn't work right. Now, instead of just taking it back to the shop and <laughs> saying, I want my money back, 
this isn't right. I thought, well, I'm kind of mechanically minded. I'm sure I can get to the bottom of this myself. So I went on the internet, used Google, and then found this ecosystem of people that were interested in watches that talked about them in a very passionate way. And I started to find out what was wrong with mine. It needed to go back. It could have been repaired, but you know, when you're spending a lot of money on something, you want it to be right first time. You don't want it going back and forward. But my interest had been piqued. It started to learn um, and that watch did go back and the watch I ended up with was a newer model of the same watch which is the Rolex GMT Master 2 and it's known affectionately as the Batman because it has got blue and black colours a bit like the Batman in the original comics. That's one of my favourite watches, probably my favourite watch I've had it for over five years, would never sell it, even though it has dramatically increased in value. That's not the whole point of watches, but it is a nice side benefit. So that's number one. Number two is another blue watch, funnily enough, it's my favourite colour. A bit like your bedroom that I can see in the background, there's a lot of blue, blue. going on there. Blue we got, everywhere. We've got a yep. lot of blue in this interview. Oh, there definitely is. Uh, it's the second one is called the Tourbillon One. It's from a brand called Arage. They're based out of Switzerland, BLBN. And over the past few years, I've grown very fond of the brand and the people that run it because they're very down to earth. They're a bit like us, a bit like the Scots, a bit like the Irish. They just love the banter. They're right into it. They don't have any airs and graces. It's all about having fun. That'd be my second choice. And my number three is not a blue watch. It's a red watch. It's actually called the let me think how do i how do i call this it's the mad one red edition limited edition released just a couple of months ago there from a company called mbnf and they are predominantly known for creating very very expensive watches we're talking the price of a house type watches you know a hundred thousand pounds is not <laughs> not to be sneezed at that's roughly where they're sort of pegging their watches thankfully the one i got does not cost anywhere near that the reason it was created was that the guy that runs MBNF, Max Busser, because MBNF stands for Max Busser and Friends, he noticed that the people that work for him perhaps couldn't afford £100,000 on a watch and his friends and his associates, they couldn't really stretch to that. So he created a watch that was around about the £3,000 mark, £2,000, £3,000 mark. Still a hell of a lot of money. But a lot less than a hundred thousand. So he released that in very limited numbers. I got mine roughly three weeks a month ago, and it's pretty much not been off my wrist because it is pretty fantastic. And if you like, I know the listeners can't see this, but they can obviously check your show notes or they can Google for it. If you give me one second, well, actually, I can go and we put up videos on YouTube so they will be able to see this. Oh, right, okay. Um in that case, would you like me to go and get the watch and show you? Of course, of course. Right, and you'll edit this little bit out, will you? Yes, we'll have this. We'll have this gone. <laughs> Excellent. Two seconds. So this one here is called the Mad One. Oh my! Right. So intricate in design. Wow. And if I am to give it a little bit of a shake, you can see the front of it starts to spin. That's beautiful. So the way this works is usually the front of the watch is where you tell the time. And that spinning thing, when I do that, that's the rotor. That winds up the mainspring. That's what powers the actual mechanism inside. So it doesn't use a battery, doesn't use a dynamo or an alternator style arrangement. This basically winds up a mainspring that holds the power and releases it slowly across the course of a day or two. And the way you tell the time, it's not from the front, it's from down here. And it is difficult to see on the webcam, but 
and I haven't set the time, so don't try and read the time from it. But basically, <laughs> the top number is there, so I think that says 10, and then the number below it, which, let me just quickly look at it, yeah, it says 15. So the time there, where little dash is in the centre, is 10.15, if this was obviously showing the correct time. And right. it's so much easier to read, and I'll show you why, because when you're usually wearing a watch, as you are just now, you have to look down and twist your wrist a little bit. So if you're in a meeting or you're with somebody and you're getting a little bit bored and you're checking the time, you have to kind of do this and look. And even if you're careful, you can still be spotted as checking your watch to see if it's time to go yet. Whereas when the watch has got the time on the side, you just have to have your hand normally and you just look down and you can see the time. So you don't have to do that. So it's easier. Yeah. You're just, you'd just be leaning and you'd be looking. Yeah, that's very smart. It is. It's a smooth I, I, move. I bet you the man who made that was in a lot of meetings. Yeah, oh, he um, is. He is. But um, no, Max is a great guy. Got to meet him once already and I've spoken to him multiple times. I've interviewed him on my own podcast, I think two or three times. And for a man that works with such high level equipment, intricate mechanisms and the clientele that are millionaires and billionaires, he's so down to earth. It's just another reason why I love dealing with people within this industry and this community because they're so approachable. Wow. Um, have you got any tips for YouTubers or podcasters? Yeah, <coughs> sound is everything. So one of the big things that we talk about on our show, we, we actually try and help people that are looking to create themselves. So we have on fantastic professional photographers. I'm a professional photographer. I forgot to tell you that. I was to, also used to do wedding photography as well. So I've done everything. There's nothing I've not done. Uh, I've had a, a wide and varied career path. But even though I know how to operate a camera, there's always somebody that is at a different level to you and we're always learning. So we've had on some amazing creators, photographers, or even more recently, we had somebody on to talk about audio because that is the forgotten part of it. You can have the best looking video in the world, but if your audio is subpar, people don't want to listen. They want to kind of tune out and go somewhere else. Um, so my main thing is get your audio down correctly. Also, if you're podcasting, learn how to speak properly. Slow down what you're saying. Watch out for saying things like um and ah and you know, crutch words that you bring into conversations. That's something we find with guests all the time. And you don't know you're doing it when you're speaking normally. It's only when you record yourself and play it back the first few times that you spot all these little things and you try and work them out. Uh, those are my two sort of main takeaways from it. S slowing down, watch your pronunciation, Think ahead, try not go um and ah, and use a good quality microphone. Or if you've got a bad quality microphone, be in a good room that's nice and quiet. It's not echoey, and you're quite close to the microphone so that the room noise doesn't overwhelm the listener. Those are my sort of takeaways. I've actually got another question for you. And so I've got my microphone here. It's not the greatest, as you saw before the meeting where I was on the fritz. But um, do you recommend this yoke here? I got it as part of my microphone and apparently it's really good, but for a guy who's into audio, uh, would you use this? Right. What is it you've got in front of you? Tell us what you've got. So this is the microphone here. Sorry. Um, it's studio microphone and I've got this over it, like a dust cover. Yeah. Um, and apparently when I got this, people would say to me, oh yeah, when you're talking, it helps with sound. Does it? Yeah, 100%. What you're talking about there 
is what looks like what would you call that a pair of tights stretched over a tennis racket right and what that is is a pop filter that will take the sound pressure from your voice so sound is a, a, a pressure wave a sine wave but you also have the actual movement of air and it's the movement of air that that stops so if you were to speak directly into a microphone and say p p or b b you can feel the pressure of the, the actual air coming out. You don't want that because it hits the microphone and creates a really loud noise that's really disconcerting to listeners. That there allows the sound to go through, but not the wind. It deflects the wind away. So it's a very useful thing. And I'm glad that you've got that because that's something that even professionals forget to use sometimes. I don't have one on this because I've got a big hairy muff right on the front here that protects the diaphragm from wind. And I'm also speaking kind of past it so it picks up the sound from the side instead of the air pressure going forward. So the way you've got your setup is ideal. And if our guests could learn anything from you, that would be it. Thanks. I just wanted to ask that. Um, but anyways, I'm out of questions. Um, how, um, oh my God, okay, I forget what I want to say. Um, anyways, thanks for being able to talk to me. And I hope we'll be able to talk again. Thanks, Ricky. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Logan Sounds Off. You can follow me on X, Facebook and Instagram at Logan Sounds Off. And don't forget to subscribe and not miss any more cool episodes. Bye guys.